Thank you, choir. Well, as some of you may know, I went to seminary at Baylor University in Waco, Texas. Sick and bears. Uh, and I spent a lot of time at the library. For the seminary students, they actually gave us a room, basically a closet, with a coffee machine and some whiteboards. And they said, this is, this is for you. Um, go live here for three years and then become a pastor. We said, great. Uh, so lots of time there. It was a lovely library. If you're ever in Waco, go see uh, Baylor's library. Um, it's a multi-tiered thing. It has a Starbucks, um, all sorts of good stuff. And the seminary section was on the third floor. So I would take the elevator up, see all the seminary tomes and the giant books that I had to memorize. And then I would go and I would work. And it was, it was a good time. It was the best of times. Um, and one time I recall, I still remember it to this day, um, I got in the elevator and there was a large man on a scooter in the elevator with me. He weighed roughly 350 pounds. It was a teeny tiny scooter. We immediately began talking. Um, he was very friendly, just this young, youngish, 20-year-old guy um, riding around on his scooter. And so he got out on the floor before me. He was meeting his tutor, um, and he just puttered out. Um, I had to step out, and he just puttered on out to meet his tutor. Um, and I just I hold on to that. I don't know why. Just the, the image of this giant man um, on this tutor working to get good grades no matter what, and he just, he was scooting along. Um, the school, it turned out, provided him with this uh, scooter. And they said, we want you to be as safe as possible, um, not to get injured during the work week of school and classes. Um, we need you to be as safe as possible until you get to Saturday. And then you suit up, you pad up, um, and you go be a linebacker on Baylor's defensive line. And the encounter struck me with two, two things that still stick with me to this day. Um, this 20-year-old who weighed more than 200 pounds of me um, on this tiny, tiny, maybe 30-pound scooter, um, just riding around. It's, he thought it was funny. We thought it was funny. The school thought it was the most serious thing they could do to ensure success. Um, and the second thing was how many people it took to make this one football player ready for Saturday. Um, he had a nutritionist waiting. He had coaches training him throughout the week. Um, he had the scooter people. Um, he had his tutor getting grades so he didn't get kicked out of school. Um, family and friends who supported him. All this stuff to make sure this one person was ready and was successful. And then if you start thinking of that one person, of the entire team and how many people it takes to make one successful defensive line or one successful football team or one successful football Program and how many people it takes to get there, to get to the top, to at least be able to play well and succeed. And I have to think that we don't succeed alone. There's genetics, there's talent, there's the will to win, but we're all kind of getting helped out here. We're all in a team, and none of us, no matter how much we would love to just be the Lone Ranger, we're, we're not. We need each other in our corner um, both on the field and off, to continue with that metaphor. And the same will be true for our senior pastor when he starts. So my question is very simple for us today. As this new season approaches, as we get ready to enter into a new chapter, how can we be ready 
for him to step in and for us to work together and be God's church. So we turn to Moses. Moses is a man. He is not God. He, at this point in chapter 17, is a little over 80 years old. Um, The last time he was in a fight, in an actual conflict of fists and swords, um, he was a very, very young man. Um, He murdered the person who he fought against, um, and he lived in exile for 40 years. So when Moses always asks people to fight, I have to think there's some context here. He, He doesn't want to be in another conflict. He knows his strengths and his weaknesses, his failures, Um, And he is a strong enough leader to say, Joshua, it's time to to pick some men and go and do the job that needs to be done. Um, So at this time, he's 80. He's still strong. He's still tough. Um, He's putting up with Israel. If you read the first part of chapter 17, um, they threaten to stone him because they're thirsty. He has to ask God for water. It's a whole thing. Um, But he chooses to stay with him. He chooses to be patient. um, And he knows that God will bring their victory And he knows that he cannot do it alone. In the same way, our new pastor will be a man, not God. Imagine if God just stepped into the pulpit. We would all immediately just be convicted and just sit there. We'd just listen to whatever he said. Um, But our new senior pastor will be a man with weaknesses and strengths, um, a history of sins and struggles, victories and failures, and his own connection, his own relationship with God. And we together as a church will have new challenges and new enemies and new victories to have together. And he will, with God's blessing, lead us through them. He will come as a leader, but what is our responsibility as those who agree to let him lead, as those being led? We all want to be successful as individuals, as Christians, and as a church. We have the right leader. We have the right resources. What can we do to be faithful and successful. So just a few things that I see in these verses. Uh, Moses had a vision from God, and they followed his direction. So verses 8 through 10, as Henry so wonderfully read, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought. It is the pastor's job um, to cast and and lead and cast the vision for where the church should go, um, to pray and delve deep into the scriptures and proclaim the word of God, to say this is where we need to be going, this is where we need to be working. It's not a dictatorship, but God willing, a healthy leadership, a healthy relationship where he can stand and say, this is what I see, Um, working with the ministerial staff and with the deacons um, and with the church, this is where I think we need to go. And there's a part in that that we all have to do, and that is to listen. Um, A few weeks ago, um, I don't know if you know, on Wednesday night, we have a lesson, we have dinner, and then we have youth games. Um, We play a game that I look up on the internet or make up in my head, and the youth try and do it, and sometimes it works great, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, On this particular night, um, a seventh grader was it. There's always an it. Um, It was a version of tag. So if you know tag, um, where if you tag someone, they joined arms with you, and you would slowly become this giant tag blob that would grow until the last person was standing, and they were the winner. Easy peasy, right? Great times. What could go wrong, you ask? Let me tell you what went wrong. 
Uh, said seventh grader only listened to half of the directions and then ran off immediately. So 10 minutes in, there's youth wandering around. They're all upset at me, of course, um, saying, well, why? He's, he's just running in. He ran into the bathroom. We don't even know where he is. He's just running around crazily, tagging people and then running away. What gives? And I said, well, he did not listen. You're going to have to come back next week for the next game because I'm not starting over. And the game fell apart. And everyone was just miffed at the end of the night. And I'm sorry to all the youth who were there a couple weeks ago. Um, I tried. Um, But it goes to this point of there is a listening component to leadership where um, I have to listen to the youth and what they say, and they have to listen to me on what I say, and we come together and we have a successful worship time, Wednesday night time. And so I say to us in our first thing that we can learn from Moses is blessed is the church who listens to their pastor. Blessed, and I choose that word carefully, blessed is the church who listens to their pastor. So verse 12a, we're breaking it down this morning. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Now, I know this might be shocking, but pastors get tired. And I won't belabor this too long because everyone just gets, you know, Everyone gets tired. We can all agree with that. But pastors also get tired occasionally. Um, the job can be draining some days. It can be difficult some days. Um, pastors are not perfect people. They're just people trying to do God's work. And the week is, it's not as structured as most people would like or prefer. Um, I had the honor and the privilege of not only working with Steve, but also being mentored by him. And I have a list of quotes on my phone that I occasionally just learn stuff from and just keep on soaking in. And I asked him, is this, is this ministry? Is this what we do all the time? We just kind of show up and strange things happen? Uh, and he had this very wise answer that I share with you today. Um, he said, you will rarely have a normal week. Ministry is mostly interruptions in what you plan to do that day. But I find more often than not that God was present most in those interruptions. And those are good, and God does show up. But every once in a while, you got to sit down. you got to take a break. And I say, blessed is the church who lets their pastor rest, who lets them sit and take a moment. There are some churches who ask their pastors to preach 52 weeks out of the year, and occasionally on leap day, and they just keep going because that's what they're called to do. And yet we see here that even Moses, God's prophet with a capital P, the guy who led them out of Israel, the guy that they still talk about today, he just got tired. He simply got weary and sat down on a rock, which sounds very uncomfortable, but that's what they had. And they allowed him to sit and still continue on in his work and his ministry, and they blessed him with that time to rest in the middle of an actual battle. So blessed is the church who lets their pastor rest and who listens to their pastor. And I love this image. It's, I, I kind of wish Jennifer had acted it out because it is really funny with youth and kids doing this. Um, but he's holding his hands up. He's in full just field goal position here with a staff in his hand. Um, and he sits down very carefully, keeps his hands up because if he lowers his hands, they start to lose. When you're in an actual battle with swords, um, losing doesn't just mean you go home sad. Um, people die. So he has to keep his hands raised at all times. 
But he starts to get tired. He starts to, you know, this has been hours. It's hot. It's sweaty. They're in a desert. And so continuing in verse 12, um, Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. So you have these two grown men bracing this 80-year-old prophet. Um, I always picture Charles Heston with the long gray beard just holding his arms up, and they are holding him in place. And what, a, what an encouragement, what an actual uplifting of his hands that they did for him. Um, two weeks ago, I went to a wedding. Um, it was very fun. And all of the non-Baptists, I, of course, did not because, you know, Baptist reader, um, danced. It was a wonderful time. We all ate. It was lovely. They're still married. It's been two weeks. Um, just great times all around. Um, and the dance floor was new. Um, we, we had been to that place before. And they had installed a dance floor. It was covered. Very nice place to be. Um, but I was told, and I eventually tested it out, though I didn't dance. Don't worry about this. Um, I held true to our, our creeds and beliefs. Um, or I didn't dance well is probably the better way to say it. Um, they built this dance floor, and it fulfilled its purpose. Everyone danced. Everyone had a wonderful time. But the dance floor was not level. They built it on a slight hill, and so the band is here, and the dance floor is here, and halfway through that dance floor, it feels like you're falling into the band. So you would be dancing, and your, your balance starts to feel a little, a little queasy, a little shaky. Um, it's very hard to dance well when you feel like you're about to fall into your dance partner um, or your mother-in-law, whoever happens to be next to you, whatever. Um, and I wanted to ask them, why would you do this? I'm already bad. And you've just made this even worse um, with this crooked dance floor. And you feel off kilter. And even when you got off of the dance floor, it's, you kind of had to step carefully and get your, your balance back. Joining a new church can feel that way sometimes. You're automatically greeted as if you were Jesus himself. Um, everyone gives you hugs and high fives. And you are welcomed in to usher in the next golden age. All capitals, of course. Um, and everyone's just like, you will triple the size of this church. We believe it. You can do this. Um, and if that has not happened, or Lord help you, if six months in, you forget someone's name. Whew, man, um, you start to get a little bit of the whiplash. You start to feel a little off kilter because people start to say, well, it's not very good. And there's that little bit of, you did, you died your best, Pastor. You know, you did, you did what you tried to. And there's a little bit of that tilt where suddenly they're balancing a little bit, they're a little precarious. Um, Murmuring is probably the best word. And yet we see in these verses that that's not intentional, that's simply ministry. That is life and leading, and sometimes pastoring needs encouragement, it needs uplifting, it needs someone to steady your hands. Um, Pastoring just takes a lot of time. If you've read about it, the best example I can think of is farming, Um, as an equivalent. It isn't a quick pull the trigger, let's just change everything and everything will be okay. Um, It is a long, drawn out relational process of bringing the word of God and speaking the word of God and working in people's lives. It isn't just simple answers. That'd be great if it was simple answers. Um, I could just sit down and just text you the sermon for today and it'd be awesome. But it is a conversation Many conversations, usually for a senior pastor, um, throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the hour, um, as they pastor. Um, I looked this up. I thought this was interesting. 
Um, did you know that it takes about three years minimum for a, a congregation and a pastor to fully integrate? Um, they call it joining the church, and studies have shown it takes three years for this process to happen, where they finally say, you're one of us, and the pastor says, I'm one of you, and the actual work of ministry, the real down-to-the-nuts-and-bolts ministry happens. I thought that was fascinating. Three years. So I have been here for four years as your student pastor, so really I have one actual full year of this is, this is the work, right? Though I think we have done some good stuff in the last four years. Don't get me wrong. Um, what was fascinating about this article, and I looked up different statistics to check on this, is that on average in the United States, um, a pastor, whether senior or not, um, stays two to two and a half years at a church. And then either the church or the pastor says, we need to get a new one. And they go. So you start to see where that could be a problem, where we're about a year short of, all right, we need to change. We got to get someone else. Um, And this church has done wonderful. Steve was here. Good Lord. 24 years, 25 years. Um, So that is not a problem in our church. But it is something to remember that as a congregation, as a church, our job is to encourage and to uplift our pastor, that there are fights, there are battles, and a pastor is a human being and gets tired. And so we are called in our scripture today to encourage our pastor. So typically, there's three points in the sermon. Um, Just because you came to church today, you get four points. God bless you all. Um, I thought this was very important in the text, so I included it. I tried to combine, but it's just here. Um, Moses' hands started shaking. Not only did he get tired of standing, not only did he get tired of having his arms up, they simply started to tremble from the exertion of what he was doing. And the two men here, not only are they holding his arms up, but at the very end of verse 12, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun They kept him steady. They wanted him to be focused on what he needed to be doing. Uh, Recently, I read this book called The Advantage. It's a leadership book recommended actually by Dr. Snyder. Um, Fascinating book, really interesting. Um, I learned a lot. Um, And it's a, a man who writes his company basically works on efficiency in different businesses, and he works with churches as well. And This church called him and said, our pastor isn't really doing anything. Um, We really need your help to kind of get him, get him on the right and narrow. We want him correct. And he said, great. I mean, that's his job. So he showed up and he had a whiteboard and he asked them, will you write down everything that you want your pastor to do? And so they started listing things. I mean, the good stuff, pastoral care and preaching, uh, managing the staff, Um, being in the office, doing hospital visits, um, funerals and weddings. And they went on and on and on and on and on. And in the actual book page, it just has this block of things. And he said, okay, we're going to assign our equivalents to each of these things and say, how many hours per week do you want him focusing on these these areas? Makes sense. Um, And so eventually they finished filling all this out. um, And it's somewhere around 150 to 170 hour work week. And they just said, oh, oh my. Um, And so he said, that's why we do this exercise. We want to see where you want to emphasize your pastor's time. Um, You're uh, doing the shotgun approach to ministry when really 
you want your pastor praying, um, doing pastoral care, preaching, and everything else is important, but there are priorities in his time that need to take precedence. And you as a church need to help him with that, need to remind him this is where your priority lies, in the word, in preaching God's word, and in loving his people, not simply doing churchy stuff so that you seem very busy and very capable and very important. Um, You must remind your pastor that they cannot do everything. They are to follow God, and they are to be steady on that track. And so fourth point, blessed is the church who keeps their pastor steady, keeps them focused, keeps them on task on the work of a pastor. And I ask you all today, do we want to be a church that blesses their pastors or a church that causes them conflict? Do we want to be a welcoming church that says we want to engage in this work together? Or do we want to be a church that makes life difficult? Obviously, there's a give and take. This pastor should be doing his job. Um, and if there's serious errors, that's, that needs to be corrected. But on the whole, do we, as a congregation, want to be a blessing to the next person to step into this pulpit. So verse 13, And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Because of Moses' leadership and the support of the people of Israel and Joshua's efforts, they were able to defeat their enemy. Our goal as a church is not to ride the coattails, that's a good old word, the coattails of a spiritual giant, Um, to let that person fight all of our battles, but to follow God's will together as God's church. That is the way to victory. That is the way to success and to simply be a healthy church. Jesus does not want us to feel all alone or just depending on one single individual. He calls us with our gifts and our abilities to come together. You know, the word pastor comes from the shepherding community. It means to lead, to set, to grazing, to eat. And the, the pa, the P-A, means to guard and to protect. And that is the role of a pastor, to set us on the right path and to get us where we need to be in God's will. And I love that what makes our scripture so unique today is not that Moses was exceptional, although he was, or that Joshua was a great fighter, although he was. Um, That is not the reason for the victory. The, The victory came from God, and that's why Moses had to keep his arms up. He was pointing to the fact that God had bound himself to Israel as he has bound himself to us, and that God is faithful in the battles, in the peacetime, in the journeys as the people of Israel continue going to the promised land, all of these people were there to point us to God, to remind us that it's not them, but it is Jesus who is the ultimate great shepherd whom all of us look to and follow and worship. It is to Jesus that our new pastor will point to, and it is to Jesus that we must look now and then in that new season. It is he who we give our thanks and our worship to, and he is our ultimate victory. Will you trust in him today?